Hi, uh, this is Aaron. And before the main part of the podcast, um, I'm going to read out an EA forum post I put out about a week ago, um, outlining a project I've been working on called the EA Archive. Um, if you're already familiar with the post that I'm talking about, um, or would just rather skip ahead to the main part of the podcast, please go to four minutes in. The EA Archive is a project to preserve resources related to effective altruism in case of a sub-existential catastrophe such as nuclear war. Its more specific, downstream motivating aim is to increase the likelihood that a movement akin to EA, i.e. one that may go by a different name and be essentially discontinuous with the current movement, but share the broad goal of using evidence and reason to do good, survives, reemerges, and or flourishes without having to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. It is a work in progress, and some of the subfolders at the reference Google Drive, which I link, are, all, all, are already slightly out of date. Uh, the, the theory of change is simple, if not very cheerful to describe. If copies of this information exist in many places around the world, on devices owned by many different people, it is more likely that at least one copy will, will, will remain accessible after, say, a war that kills most of the world's population. Uh, then I include a screenshot of basically the Google Drive folder, which shows uh, a couple of three different folders on it. Um, and as, showed, um, as shown in the screenshot, there are three folders. The smallest one, main content, contains HTML, PDF, and other static text-based files. It is by far the most important to download. If for whatever reason space, space isn't an issue and, and you'd like to download the larger folders too, so that would be great. I will post a quick take, uh, which is like a short EA forum post, um, when there's been a major enough revision to warrant me asking for people to download a new version. How you can help, one, download. And I give some links to basically download either the two gigabyte version um, or up to all three folders, which, which works out to 51 gigabytes. Um, this project depends on people like you downloading and storing the archive on a computer or flash drive that you personally have physical access to, especially if you live in any of the following areas. One, Southeast Asia um, and the Pacific, uh, especially New Zealand. Two, South and Central Africa. Three, Northern Europe, especially Iceland. Four, Latin America, Mexico City and South, especially Ecuador, Colombia, and Argentina. And finally, five, any very, very rural area anywhere. If you live in any, any of these areas, I would love to buy you a flash drive to make this less annoying and or enable you to store copies in multiple locations. So please get in touch via the Google form, which I link, um, DM or any other method. Uh, two, suggest, submit, and provide feedback. Currently, the limiting factor on the archive's contents is my ability and willingness to find, to find uh, identify relevant resources and then scrape or download them, i.e. not the cost or, or feasibility of storage. If you notice something uh, ought to be in there that isn't, please use this Google form, again, which I link, to do any of the following. One, let me know what it is broadly, which is good. Two, send me a list of URLs containing the info. Better. Three, send me a Google Drive link with all the with the files you'd like added best. Uh, and four, provide any general feedback or suggestions. Um, I may be I may have to be somewhat judicious about large video and audio files, but virtually any relevant and appropriate PDF or to other text content should be fine. And finally, uh, the last way you can help, um, which is uh, which would be great, is to share it. Send this post. Um, which I will, again, which I'm linking in the uh, podcast description. Uh, send this post to friends, especially other EAs who do not regularly use or read the EA forum. So um, without further ado, uh, the actual main part of the podcast. Cool. So... You're at the Center for Reducing Suffering. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. 
Um, okay, I, I got it right. There's like one of two <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah, there are two asterisk orgs, basically, and they sound really similar. Center on long-term risk is the other one. Let's like skip the, I feel like anybody who's like actually listening to this is going to like have heard of asterisks. Like if not, you can just like go to the EA forum or whatever and like type in s-risk and it will like, you'll like get like a page or whatever. So like we can, do you think, do you think it's okay to like skip the high level stuff? Yeah, I think that sounds good. I do think a lot of people like hear the same kind of abstract stuff over and over. And so, yeah, it'd be good to get deeper into it. Okay. So how about, um, convince me so like i think we come from like a pretty similar like ethical background or like yeah uh normative ethical standpoint like both like i don't know if you consider yourself like a full-on negative utilitarian like i don't quite um well actually yeah i guess i should ask you like do you or is it more just like general suffering focused perspective yeah i yeah i also don't consider myself like full negative utilitarian um i think i okay, used to yeah. be more so but yeah, I'm I'm still overall like more suffering focused than probably like the average EA or something. Yeah, yeah, that's literally like my spiel. Like I always say that. And like also I was I was thinking like uh somebody like as I was talking on Twitter like uh, a couple days ago and like I was thinking like I don't actually know of any human being who's like actually a like a negative utilitarian. Like a full on thinks that like that like literally the only thing that matters is or like yeah, like positive experiences or whatever have like no don't count for anything whatsoever. Yeah, so convince you that there's like a theory of change for reducing S risks. Um, like at least like at the current, given like the current state of the world, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, it seems to me like there's like really high level abstract research going on. And uh, like, honestly, this is, so I, I haven't actually looked into what CRS does. So like maybe I'm like straw manning or something. I remember I applied for something at the center on long-term risk a while ago. And like, it seemed like all of their research was like really cool, like really important, but like not the kind of thing where there's like a theory of change if you think that like transformative AI is coming in the next decade, like maybe in the next century, but not the next decade. So like, you think there's a theory of change <laughs> for any of this? Yeah, I mean, it is, I do think it's hard uh, and often abstract, but yeah, I certainly think there's some like very real concrete plans. Um, so yeah, part of it depends on, like you mentioned, like if you think transformative AI is coming soon. So part of it is how much you think there's going to be like some lock-in scenario soon where most of our impact comes from like impacting that. Um, so, so yeah, so then AI is like the big example there. And that is something that like CLR is also doing or center on long-term risk more internally. So there might be some work I mean, there is some work on like looking at which training environments lead to like increased risk of conflict between AIs or like maybe which type of like alignment work is more likely to backfire in ways like um, like you might get like a near miss scenario where if you get really close to alignment, but not quite all the way that actually like increases the risk of lots of suffering compared to just not having alignment at all. Um, but then there's, so yeah, and you just maybe have to talk to uh, CLR more about that because I also don't know as much about like what they're doing internally. Uh, but I can't talk about CRS. So then there's like a different strategy, which is like broad interventions. So less narrowly focused on like a specific um, like lock-in scenario. And the idea there is like, you can look at risk factors that, so 
maybe you say it's just really hard to predict how SRIS will happen. There could be like lots of different SRIS scenarios and like all the details are just kind of, uh, any particular details may be unlikely that you're gonna predict it correctly. But you could look at like general features of the world that you can affect where they can reduce SRIS across like many different ways the future could play out. And so yeah, the, this idea of risk factors, I guess it's used in medicine. So, so like a poor diet is not a like poor health outcome in itself, but it's a risk factor for lots of other, from for like depression and like heart disease and all these things. So yeah, so for SRIS, it might be easier to like focus on risk factors. And then like one basic example is maybe increasing like society's concern for suffering is like a way that you can reduce SRIS even if you don't know any of the details about how SRIS will play out. So like future people would then be in a better position to like they'll be more motivated to reduce suffering. And then once they know more about the specifics of like what to implement, um, maybe this could also be related to the AI stuff as well. But like if you think there's going to be a big crunch time or something and it's going to be like you can have more impact and maybe it's also more clear how to have impact. It's better if like more of those people are motivated to reduce suffering. Then like that could be a, a way to sort of like punt things to the future a little bit. Um, yeah, like I'm actually glad to hear, especially about like the particular AI, like the more technical um, things like like which training environments like are like likely to lead to, uh, I guess, escherisk like prone, like misalignment or, or, or something like that. Um, because that's like a little bit, I don't know if I've actually like written it anywhere. So like, I'm not allowed to call it a hobby horse, but like, this is something I've been like thinking about. And like, um, it is it, like, it's like suffering focused alignment research, um, or at least stuff like asterisk aware alignment research, you know? Um, uh, mm -hmm. and it's like not something that I really hear very much like in the, in the discourse, which is just my podcast feed, the discourse, it, it, that's what the discourse is to me. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I do um, think it's like neglected. It's often kind of like forgotten about a little bit. Yeah. Um, how much, wait, so is, is that something that CR, I, I also, um, the audio for me cut out for like a few seconds, like a little while ago. So like, I think I might've missed something, but um, is that something that you think is like uh, CLR is doing more or um, or is that something that CRS has also been researching? Yeah, CLR does more on um, AI specific stuff. And CRS generally does more broad, like value spreading, moral philosophy, like uh, improving political institutions. Okay, okay. But, so, so yeah, yeah maybe both, are, both care about both, I think to some extent. So, so what is, what is CRS like? Maybe I should, I should probably have like checked into I'm going to Google it. I have my split screen open, but like, what is CRS up to these days? The Center for Reducing Suffering. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. I, I think like, I'm also somewhat, I mean, interested in like all these things. And so, um, and so I know like some of the other AI stuff as well, but yeah, CRS, I mean, there's more, there's a lot of just like writing, uh, doing research and like writing books and things like this. So it's, it's mostly just a research organization and there's um, also outreach. And like, sometimes I give like talks on asterisk, things like this, but um, yeah. Yeah. Like there's, it, it's like very broad. Like there's um, basically spreading suffering focused ethics, doing cause prioritization on like how to best reduce suffering. And then specifically 
looking at ways to reduce SRS are like the three main pillars, I guess. Of cool. CRS. Yeah, I'm checking out the books page right now. Um, I see avoiding the worry, suffering books ethics. Yep. Ma like uh, three by Magnus Binding and, and one by Tobias Bauman. <laughs> I tried to actually, <laughs> like, I think I kind of failed. I tried to make an audio book for Avoiding the Worst a while ago. I think it was the only audio version for a while, but like mm -hmm. it wasn't yeah. very good. And, and then eventually, eventually <laughs> that came in and like figured out how to get like actual audio. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was great that. to have that for, yeah, for like oh, oh, a few oh, months okay. or something. Oh, that was you. like our only. Honestly, it would have been quicker <laughs> well, thanks for doing that. it, I think. So like, oh, well, <laughs> next time I'll like, yeah, to try to, my uh resources um line them up better anyway um but other people got to listen to it too so i think it i think it seemed pretty good okay cool 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 um yeah so maybe like what do you what do you personally do like yeah what do you personally do at uh crs or i guess how else have you been like involved in ea like more generally yeah i kind of do like a bunch of different stuff like crs a lot of it has been like uh, just operations and and things like this and like hiring and um and like some managing but yeah also like outreach some research it's been very broad and yeah and i'm also like separate from crs like interested in animal ethics and like wild animal suffering and these types of things so okay nice nice um yeah uh like where, where, where like where to go from here i feel like we're we're like largely like we're like on the same page, I feel like. Um, yeah, like, curious. what is your like, um, is your disagreement mostly tractability though? Maybe we should like get into the disagreement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so um, I don't even know if I've like specified a, a disagreement, but like insofar as I have one, like, yes, it's tractability. Mm -hmm. So like, um, like this is like the reason why, like I, I haven't donated very much uh, to anywhere, um, like, for money reasons, but like, um, uh, insofar as I have, like, I have not donated to CLR or CRS because um, uh, I don't see a theory of change that connects the research currently being done to um, to actually reducing S risks. So, like, yeah, and, and I, I feel like there must be something because, like, you know, there's like extremely smart people at both of these orgs or whatever. <laughs> and clearly they thought about this and like maybe the answer is like nice. it's like it's like it's like very general and like the the outcome is just like so big in magnitude that like anything yeah kind of that, that is part of it i think yeah like, like part of it is like an expected value thing but uh and also it's just very neglected so it's like you want some people working on this i think at least even if it's unlikely to work out but yeah yeah it, even that might be underselling it though i mean i do think there's uh, people at CRS and CLR are, like talking to people at AI labs and like some people in politics and like these types of things. And like, hopefully, you know, the research is a way to know what to try to get done at these places. You know, like you, you want to have some like concrete recommendations. And I think obviously people have to also be willing to like listen to you, but I think there is some work being done on that and like research is partially just like a uh, community building thing as well. Like it's a credible signal that, you know, like you were smart and have thought about this. And so it gives people reason to listen to you. And maybe that mostly pays on, pays off later on in the future. Yeah. I, I um, No, that all sounds like reasonable. And I guess like one thing is that I just don't 
like there's definitely like things i mean first of all like i haven't really stayed up to date on like what's going on so like i haven't even done i've done zero research for this podcast episode for example very responsible um i've uh and insofar as i have like no things about this, like these orgs it's like just based on like the you know what's on their website at like some given time so like insofar as like there's like outreach going on not like behind the scenes but just like not in like a super public way um mm -hmm. or i guess you could call that behind the scenes like i just like don't have reason to i guess know about that um and like hmm, i guess uh yeah like i'm like i'm like pretty comfortable i don't even know if it's like this is considered biting a bullet and like the people for like the crowd that will be listening to this if that's anybody but um with just like yeah like um uh saying like yeah a very small change for like a very like large magnitude just like checks out like you can just do expected value reasoning and that's like basically basically correct uh but like a correct way of thinking about ethics um but uh even Hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know how much you know specifically or like how much you're like allowed slash like want to reveal, but like, like if there was like a particular like alignment agenda that like, like, I guess you in, in a broad sense, like the suffering focused like research community thought was particularly promising and like, re like relative to other tractable, like, like, I guess, generic alignment like recommendations and like you were doing research on that and like trying to push that into like into the into like the alignment mainstream which is like not very mainstream but like you know and then it was like the hope that like that jumps into like the ai mainstream you know like even if that's a like kind of a long chain of events like i think i would be a lot more enthusiastic about like i don't know uh, like the, the the like that that type like type of agenda because it feels like there's like a particular story you're telling where like it cashes out in the end you know what i mean uh yeah like I, i'm not the expert on this stuff but i do think like you just mean like i mean i think there's some things about influencing alignment and like powerful ai for, for sure um maybe not like a full-on like this is our alignment proposal and it also handles estrus but like some things some like things we could ask ai labs that are already building like agi we could say um can you also implement these sort of like safeguards so if you fail alignment you fail sort of gracefully and don't cause lots of suffering or right um yeah or like maybe there are other things too which also seem potentially more tractable like like even if you solve alignment in some sense like aligning with whatever the human operator tells the AI to do, then you can also get the issue that like malevolent actors can take control of the AI and then what they want also causes lots of suffering. So yeah, so that type of alignment wouldn't. Yeah. And I guess I tend to be somewhat skeptical of like coherent extrapolated volition and things like this, where the idea is sort of like, it'll just figure out our values and like do the right thing. So yeah, there's like some ways to push on, on this without having like a full alignment plan. Um, but I'm not sure if that counts as like what you were, what you were saying. No, I mean, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it does. I just, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like it does. Uh, and like, it could be that I'm just like kind of mistaken about the degree to which like that type of, of like research and outreach is going on. That sounds like it's at least partially true. Um, okay. So like, uh, I, I would, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I mentioned, I mentioned doing this interview. Uh, and basically, they said to ask you about uh, the degree to which um, there's like some sort of effort to basically keep estrus out of the EA mainstream. Do you want to like talk about that slash comment on it? 
Um, and we can also think about later if we want to keep it in or not. Mm -hmm. You mean like from uh, from non-asterisk EAs? Um, yeah, and then I, I think I think they used the word. This person used the word conspiracy. I don't, I have no idea how facetious that was. If it was like <laughs> like a you know decentralized conspiracy or like a legit conspiracy, you know what I mean? But like um uh so so is there an anti-asterisk cons conspiracy? Uh, yes or no? You have, you have the deep five state. Seconds. Yeah, it's controlling the everything. The DPA state. Yeah, I actually I'm not sure um, how to what extent there's like like I tend to have a less cynical view on it I guess but uh, and I think maybe like EAs prioritize SRS less than they otherwise should but potentially due to just like biases like and maybe just like founder effects of the movement but and it's not nice to think about like extreme suffering all the time and like you could you could mention some potential biases but yeah it's it's hard to say i i can't say i've personally had anyone like really actively like excluded me because of the estrus thing explicitly or something yeah. like that but maybe it's like behind the scenes or something <laughs> going on but but like yeah i guess i tend to think it's not so bad uh, okay and okay. i think also there's been a lot of like there's been a lot of a big push in the like suffering focus estrus communities to like find common ground and find cooperative co compromises and like gains from trade and i think this has probably been been just good for everyone and good for like other ea's perception of estrus reducers as well yeah no that's like something i want to highlight this is like the most maybe like the most so i've been like i feel like i've been casting like a negative light on like uh, or like sort yeah like a like a, a sort of like oblique negative light on like the yeah, um suffering both community but like yeah the gains from trade thing and cooperation is something that like i did not expect to find i guess as much of like diving in and like it makes it actually makes total sense right because like you know that you're up against like <laughs> you're, you're like um you're it's like the kind of thing that like once you read about it it's like oh yeah of course like once you incorporate like how people are actually going to treat the movement it like makes sense to talk like a lot about gains from trade it's not even that gains from trade isn't like cooperation is like the better term to use i feel like um but it's like i feel like most like research slash like social movements like, i guess like even subparts of ea that i've like encountered just like haven't <laughs> um like haven't like fully modeled like themselves as part of like an altruistic community in the way like to the extent that the suffering book community has and, like that's something i've been like very i guess impressed with and like i just also just think it's like object level good yeah i think there are a lot of benefits um and you can also even so like it's not just reputation and like gains from trade but like if you have moral uncertainty for example then that's just another reason to not go like all in on like what you currently think is best and yeah for sure and there, do you know like a, about a causal stuff? Like that's another thing. Like s some estrus people are kind I'm of so, into. I I I'm into it. <laughs> I think I kind of buy it. I don't know how it relates. <laughs> I don't know how to, how it relates to s risks specifically though. Um. So like how, how does mm -hmm. it? Uh. Well, there's one idea. Like it's called evidential cooperation in large worlds. It okay. used to be multiverse wide super rationality. And <laughs> it's a lot of syllables. <laughs> but the idea is um so like a causal trade is typically like you're simulating some other like trade partner right or like yeah. predicting them probabilistically but 
with this, the idea is uh, like you acting just gives you evidence that so if the if the universe is really big or potentially infinite, there's maybe like near copies of you or just so this depends depends on your decision theory, of course, but there might be other agents that are like correlated with you. Their decision making is correlated with you. So uh, you doing something just gives you evidence that they're also going to do something similar. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to cooperate and like be nice to other value systems, that's evidence other people with other value systems will be nice to you. And so you can potentially get some like a causal gains from trade as well. Um, obviously it's somewhat speculative. And <laughs> this also maybe runs into the issue of like, if, if someone has different values from you, they might not be like similar enough to be correlated. Like, so your decision-making isn't isn't correlated enough to be able to do these compromises but yeah that's another thing like you could get into and maybe maybe i should have explained the a causal stuff more first but it's um, not that important uh yeah i mean we can talk about that like how much what, should, we, should we talk about a causal trade <laughs> uh, we don't have to but i just thought like, maybe it's confusing if i just threw that in there but i think it's also fine uh Okay, maybe maybe you want to give like a twenty second or slash short ish. Sure. Uh, okay, imagine you're in a prisoner's dilemma with a copy of yourself. So you shouldn't defect probably because they'll defect back on you. So I mean, that's the kind of evidence that that's kind of the intuition for there are a causal interactions. You can't just model like, oh, as long as I defect, that's no matter what they do, that's the better option. That would be like the causal way to look at things. But you also have to look at well your decision making might be correlated with your cooperation partner and so that will can affect your decisions and then obviously it can get more complicated than that but that's the basic idea yeah um yeah I, i'll mention uh I, I i like learned about like i had heard the term but like i learned about it like substantively on um joe carl smith's uh 80k podcast um episode like not that long ago so i guess i'll mention that as like where to, where to get up to speed insofar as like I'm up to speed. That's how to get up to speed. Um, yeah, uh, so that was like a long post on this. And it's interesting. To, like he talks about how you can kind of affect the past. And so that's like one way you could think about it if you're correlated with, because these like correlated agents can also be in different time periods. Um, yeah. yeah. Obviously, this is all just like more. Now this is just interesting, but I don't want to make it sound like this is like the main asterisk uh, thing or, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like. Okay, so like I don't know. Um, do you wanna do you wanna branch out like a little bit? How how long has it even been? I like don't know what else there is. Are there any like? I, I feel like I don't even know exactly what questions to ask, which is like totally my fault. You know what I mean? So like, are there any like cutting edge like asterisk like directions or whatever that like I should be I should be like knowing about? Um, probably, uh, okay. but, but I don't know, I guess like, yeah, also happy to branch out, but I guess there, there's a lot one could say. So like other objections might be, so this whole estrus focus partially relies on like having a long-term focus and obviously that's been talked about a lot in EA and then, and then like caring for reducing suffering or having a focus on reducing suffering. So you could also talk about like why 
why one might have that view. And then, yeah. and then there's, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just say there's also like one more kind of premise that I think uh, goes unnoticed more, which is a focus on worst case outcomes. So you could also, instead of working on estrus, if you were like a suffering focused long-termist, you could focus on just eradicating suffering entirely, for example, as in like the hedonistic imperative uh, from David Pierce is like an example of this where he try he wants to use like genetic engineering to to make it so that people are just happy all the time they have different levels of happiness and there's a lot more details on that but uh, that's a different focus than like trying to prevent the very worst forms of suffering which is what an s risk is yeah um I don't know I, I I feel like EA in general this is like a big like a high level point but like EA in general um, or like, hmm, there's always a, it seems like there's a lot of focus on like weak ass criticisms. Like, oh, maybe future people don't matter. Like, shut up. Come on, man. Like, yes, they do. Like, okay. Like, okay. I'm no, I'm not exactly doing that justice, <laughs> but like, and then there's like, there's like esoteric weird points that like don't get noticed or whatever. So are there any like esoteric, esoteric, like weird cruxes that are like the reason, um, uh, like, uh, hmm, I don't know, but like, like, uh, like one thing is like, I, I guess, how much do you think that like the, 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 um, uh, like the answer or like the nature of consciousness like matters to, um, hmm. the degree to which S risks are like even a, like a possibility, I guess, like, I guess they're always a conceptual possibility, but like a, like a physical possibility. Yeah, I think that. I think like if artificial sentience is possible or plausible, then that raises the stakes a lot and you can potentially see a lot more suffering in in the world. But I don't think I think without that you still can have enough suffering to for something to be considered an asterisk, and that's still like there's a non-negligible likelihood of that happening. So I wouldn't say working on asterisk like hinges on this, but it at least the type of estrus you work on and, and the way that you do it may depend on it. So, so yeah, maybe like getting involved with influencing like more and more people are talking about digital sentience and, and maybe like pushing that discussion in a good direction could be a promising thing to do for estrus. Yeah. Do you have, do you have takes on digital sentience? <laughs> well, I think I'm I'm quite confused about consciousness still, but good. I anybody think... is anybody is not. I think like doesn't doesn't understand the problem. <laughs> it seems like a tough one, but I I think that like overall it's plausible. Like lots of views of consciousness allow it, and it's also just would be so important if it happened. So there's another sort of expected value thing, because I think you can have many more digital beings than biological beings. Like they're more energy and space efficient and they could uh, expand to space more easily and yeah. they could be made to like it seems unlikely to me that evolution selected for like the very worst forms of suffering you could create so they could digital sentience could be made to experience much more intense forms of suffering so i think like for these reasons it's kind of just worth focusing on it while i have while i think it's plausible enough 
and yeah. there might just be a precautionary principle where you act as if they're sentient to avoid causing lots of harm, like to avoid like things that have happened in the past with animals, where I'm, I guess, and currently, where people don't care or don't think they're they can suffer, and I, I tend to think that the downside risk from like think accidentally saying that they're sentient when they're not is lower than the reverse. So I think you can just get much more suffering from they're actually sentient and suffering and we just don't care or know rather than the opportunity cost of accidentally giving them moral consideration when we shouldn't have. Um, I, I tend to err on the side of like, we should be careful to act as if they're sentient. Yeah, I mean, I think my, not objection, like I literally agree with everything you just said, I'm pretty sure. Um, and definitely agree with like the broad strokes. Um, uh, my concern is that we have no idea what the what the digital neural correlates of suffering, like would like as far as I know, have no idea what the digital neural neural correlates of suffering would look like or like are. And so like like it seems especially intractable. Like like if you just like take two computer programs, like like I feel like the naive thing where it's like oh if you're like if you're like not giving uh like a, like an ml model like reward then that's like just like the like that like is the case in which like you like the thing might be suffering like that just like doesn't check out i feel like like under inspection like you know what i mean um like mm -hmm. i feel like it's like way more we we have like no grasp whatsoever on like what it would yeah like like like, like what a digital system would like what digital like sub processes like would correspond to suffering i don't know if you agree with that i mean i agree i have no grasp of it at least maybe someone does okay. but okay it so yeah i'm not sure i have i can say that much i mean it seems hard i also have the feeling that like it's a lot more than that i think you can at least get evidence about this type of thing still like there are like i mean first off you could see you could look at how evolution seems to have selected for suffering. It was maybe to to motivate moving away from stimuli that's bad for genetic fitness and to uh, assist in learning or something like this. So you can try to look at analogous situations with artificial sentience and see where like suffering just might be useful. And yeah, maybe you could also look at some like similarities between um, artificial brains in some sense and and human brains and when they're suffering but potentially i mean i think likely artificial sentience would just look so different that you couldn't really do that easily yeah yeah i feel like this like all these things that i've been bringing up sort of like like maybe i'm just like being irrational or whatever but like they sort of seem to like stack on top of one another <laughs> or something and so like i don't know just like like I'm just, I have maybe, maybe an unjustified, like intuitive skepticism, like not of the importance, but like of the, yeah, of the tractability, like, as I've said, like a bunch of times and like, like maybe the answer just like, you know, it's a big number at the, or like you're multiplying all this by a really big thing. And like, I guess I kind of buy that too. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm also, I also worry about Pascal's mugging and I I do think it's fair to to worry about tractability uh, when there's like a bunch of things adding up like this. But I also think that esterists are um, disjunctive 
And so there are lots of different ways S-Risk could happen. So like I said earlier, like we're kind of talking about specific stories of how S-Risk could play out, but it might be like, obviously the details of predicting the future are just hard. So I think you can still say S-Risk are likely and influencing S-Risk is possible, even if you think any specific S-Risk is kind of unlikely that we can that we can talk about. Like mostly it might be unknown unknowns. And I do. I also think the other big thing I should say is the lock-in uh, stuff that I mentioned earlier too. So, like influencing AI might actually not be like that intractable, and and space colonization might be another lock-in in some sense. Like once we've colonized space to a large degree, it would be hard to coordinate because of the huge distances between different civilizations, and so getting things right before that point seems important. And there are a couple of other like lock-ins or like attractor states you could imagine as well that, that you could try to influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so you want, do you want to branch out a little bit? So I mean, maybe we can come back to asterisks or maybe we'll like, see sure, yeah. like, see like, okay. So, uh, are, are, you, your... are you convinced then? Am I convinced? Wait, about about what exactly? Are you donating to CRS now? Um, I guess I actually don't know what your funding situation is like. So, like, that's one thing. Um, I would look at. Uh, um, I don't think I am. I also don't know. I would. I would like want to look at the. Actually, I probably will do this. So I would want to, and hopefully I will like look at the like more specific differences between CLR and CRS in terms of, um. And also, like my current best guess is uh, rethink priorities in terms of like the best, the best like utils per dollar uh, charity. And like a lot of this comes from the fact that like I just posted like a manifold market that said like under my values, like where should I donate? And like they're at like thirty six percent or something. Yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> I would encourage people to do this. I feel like this should not. I should not be the only one doing. I also like it doesn't even matter if I do it because like I don't have at least at the moment a very large amount of money to donate. Whereas some people, at least in relative terms, do. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, sorry, I was also yeah. being tongue in cheek, but I, I just, I'm more. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good question because like it's easy to just like nod along and say like, oh yeah, I agree with everything you just said, but at the end of the day, like not actually change my behavior. You know what I mean? So the answer is like, I'm really not sure. Um, I think it's like. So well, I think like yeah, there can be like an opposite thing where like, I, often you can have kind of good reasons, but it's just hard to like say it explicitly and in the moment and stuff. So I think like forcing you to commit is, is not totally reasonable. <laughs> don't worry. I'm, I, I, I don't think, um, you have that, you have the ability to, or I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that. Um, uh, and I think there's like people like, it's, like in the A-sphere who like, when they say like any proposition, they like, in order to like uphold their credibility, they think they like really need to like, like, or else they're going to be like, like, if they don't get like follow through, they're going to be like considered a liar or whatever. And like nothing they ever say will be like mm -hmm. considered like legitimate. And like, I think that's like, that's like an important consideration. But also if I like say some bullshit on a podcast and then I also, then like, I don't like confirm it. I'm like, not gonna, not gonna, like, I don't think you have the ability to like make me commit to anything. In fact, over like via this computer connection <laughs> or via this Wi-Fi connection. Um, yeah, that sounds, that sounds true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm mostly joking, uh, or like, I guess like I uh, partially joking, but saying it in a joking in a joking way or something. Um, mm -hmm. no, uh, I know what you mean. I think that's a good like uh, attitude to have. Yeah. So, what's your? I guess I don't even. What's your? What's your back? Like, what's your story? What's your? What's your deal? Like, did you? 
I don't know either. Like, I guess intellectually slash like, how did you get into EA stuff slash what's your life story? Mm -hmm. Um, it was pretty, I guess I, I got into it through a few different routes simultaneously. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to like go back and look at it, things objectively and know how, how I ended up here, but I was into like animal ethics, like for a long time. And, and I was just also into like philosophy kind of in like rationalism and then the sort of pushed in similar direction. And I think hearing, like I took a philosophy of ethics class in, in college and I heard like Stinger, Peter Singer's puddle analogy there. And I thought that was very convincing to me at the time. So that always kind of stuck with me, but it didn't like change my actions that much until later. And yeah, I guess all of these things sort of added up to like working on like prioritizing factory farming and like wild animals suffering later. And again, not doing tons about this, but just kind of becoming convinced and like thinking about it a lot and thinking about what should I do. And then, and then Estrus came after that, I guess, what after like I got more into EA and heard about long-termism and like, so added, added that component. And yeah. that's the rough overview. Okay, we we have a very similar story. Although my my intro to ethics class was was pretty shitty, but I was already um, yeah I I had a similar similar situation going on. Um, mm -hmm. So what else what uh, what else do you think we disagree about? If any, like besides the like very niche topics we've talked about. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I guess I'm also curious what you do and like typically like <laughs> yeah, what is what is your priority? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, you say re rethink and you, I don't know. Do you go to, do you go to Georgetown still? I guess. I yeah, no, no, this, this is an extremely legitimate uh, question. So, um, no, I don't go to Georgetown still. I graduated about a year ago. Um, okay. uh, and, uh, then I got, um, a grant from the long-term future fund to do independent research. And I always say that with air quotes because, um, I, I like, I, there has been some of that. There's also been like, I've done like a bunch of miscellaneous projects, some of which like supporting other EA, like some of which have been like supportive of, of other EA projects that like maybe don't like the best descriptive phrase would like isn't is an independent research. So like helped with like a, an outreach project called um uh, uh non-trivial like did some um data analysis for a couple uh for CEA um uh and um that like the like explicitly like that's been going on for like a year or whatever so i'm like sort of wrapping i'm trying to like complete some of some projects um actually uh just yesterday i posted on the a forum about like the ea archive i guess i'll give a shout out to that or like a like i'll like encourage people to, to like look at that post um and i'll probably put that in like the show description uh which is uh basically like collected a bunch of e so about a year ago um little tangent but about a year ago um uh putin invaded ukraine and there was like people were like freaking out about nuclear war and so um i like did some research and like basically became like not convinced but thought there was like a pretty decent chance that like in the case of like a realistic nuclear war scenario a lot of information on the internet would just disappear because like they're physically stored in like two to four data centers in nato countries and like those places would probably be targets etc um, and so basically I collected a bunch of like, um, EA and like EA related information, um, 
and I'm basically putting it in a Google Drive folder and I'm just asking people, especially people in like, who like don't live in the like places like Washington DC where I live, like um, I think like yeah. Iceland's a great place, like New Zealand, there's like a couple other places, then Colombia um, <laughs> to like download this. <laughs> so like they can be like the designated survivors. And um, yeah, so, so, so that, that's like my most like recent, I guess, uh, thing uh, or whatever. Um, and yeah, cool. yeah I, I have I have like no life plan right now. Um, I am <laughs> applying to jobs. Um, but like, but like, um, <laughs> sort of, in terms of like intellectually, I guess, uh, I'm yeah definitely suffering focused. Um, okay, so I actually have a I have like a kind of pretentious phrase that I use, which is like I would say I am a suffering leaning total utilitarian, in that like I think total utilitarianism actually doesn't imply some of the things that other people think it implies. And so like, in particular, I think that total utilitarianism doesn't imply non-offsetability. So like you can think that there's like sufficiently bad suffering even under total utilitarianism, that like there's no amount of well-being you can create such that um, such that uh, it would justify the creation of this, of like that, that bad suffering. Um, uh, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of prioritization, I think I'm like, yeah, definitely like buying to like the like long termism, maybe not all the connotations that people give it, but just like the like the formal description of it. Like, yeah, um, a lot about like uh lot like long term future matters a lot, like probably the like overriding um like the dominant um source of like more of moral value. I think I'm definitely more like animal welfare pilled than uh like other like long termists or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm like, I'm shrimp welfare pilled. I think that's like my second, or, um, that's like also one of the charities on my manifold market. So that's, that, that's, that's like, that's my five minute spiel. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I also, I think we align on a lot of this stuff, but yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I think, um, the total utilitarian thing is is interesting because i think these are called lexical views sometimes is this like what you're talking about where are uh, you like yeah classical utilitarian and then at a certain point of suffering it's like just unoutweighable so um like yes and then i think like above and beyond like that like about like there's i think i have like a very like niche like view which is that in particular like lexicality does not conflict with total utilitarianism. I think, I think like the general understanding is that it does. And I want to claim that it doesn't. And I have these like philosophy reasons. This is actually the first thing that I worked on like this year or whatever. Um, and I've been meaning to like clean up my, it was like part of like a, like a longer post that I wrote with some other people on the EA forum, but I've been meaning to like clean up my part and like, and like emphasize it more or, or something like that. Um, uh, well, I, do I don't know, by... do, do you have takes on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious at least. Like, what do you mean by it uh, doesn't conflict? Like, just more happy people would still be good if, under this um, view? Is that what you mean? Oh, wait. So, um, so wait, let me ask you. So, uh, is it your understanding that under total utilitarianism, um, or, or total utilitarianism implies that any instantiation of suffering can be justified by some amount of well being? Is that your understanding? Well, I think that's the typical 
way people think about it. But yeah, I guess I don't think technically. Yeah, I do think you can have this lexical view, and and okay, it doesn't so, even so, have to so be maybe, suffering maybe focus. Maybe, maybe about, we just maybe we just agree then. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I guess one thing I would say is, in expectation, you might still not ever want more beings to come into existence because there's some chance they have this lexical, this lexically bad suffering. And you're saying that can't be outweighed. Um. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's like an applied consideration, which is like actually important. Yeah. Uh, but like not exactly <laughs> like what I was thinking of. So, so wait, may, maybe like my claim actually isn't as niche, or like isn't as uncommon because it, it sounds like you might you might agree with it actually. Um. No, I think it is uh, uncommon. But I have. Okay. But also, I agree. So unfortunately, oh, that's hell another... yeah. Okay. Sweet. Sweet. Okay. Okay. Cool. We can convert everybody. Um. There's uh, one I, person on yeah. CRS. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. My my Wi-Fi is kind of bad, but uh, so there's a delay. Keep going. But someone at um, CRS called named Tio has a bunch of posts on Tio Ajantefield. His last name is hard to say. Uh, he has a lot of posts related to like suffering focused ethics, and he has some talking about population ethics. And he examines some views like this where. Like you can have lexical total utilitarianism basically. And you can also have, so you can have a suffering focused version of that. And you could also have one where you also have lexical goods where like no amount of minor goods can like add up to be more important than this mm. really, really high good. And, and uh, yeah, I guess there's a lot of interesting stuff from, from that. Like they all seem to lead to having to bite some pullets. Yeah, though I think I actually haven't thought about that as much, but but it sounds right. It sounds like like sort of like a direct or not direct, but like a it's like a, a one degree separated like implication of like of like thinking the same thing on the negative side or whatever. Um, and I guess like part of my like motivation or whatever for like at least like developing this view like like initially is that I feel like um uh like uh, totally utilitarianism just like has a lot like the arguments are just strong and then i feel like at least like for for like some understanding of it like for or like for some like general category of like totally utilitarianism in fact they're i think they're correct and i think they're true and then i also think sometimes they're like people like use the strong arguments to, con to conclude oh totally utilitarianism is true and then they like take like they take that phrase and then like draw conclusions that aren't in fact justified or, or something mm -hmm. like that but like i'm speaking in like pretty broad pretty broad terms now i guess it's like hard to specify yeah i also don't know the details but i think there's so there are some impossibility theorems that have been worked out on population ethics where that shows like you have to accept one of some some counterintuitive conclusions um oh, yeah, but they rely on like yeah and, and i think they might so they rely on axioms that aren't you could disagree with and and i think they typically don't consider lexical views yeah i, I think hopefully i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to um uh daniel Fallon, who i think we, we actually chatted and, and hope i think he he definitely thinks i'm wrong about this but i, I think he hmm. understands the view and thinks i'm wrong so hopefully hopefully we'll get like i'll get like a critical like a more critical perspective so we can like debate that or whatever it's yeah damn you're, you're not providing any interesting content you we're, <laughs> we're just we're just both right about anything everything um, yeah, well, I, I might misunderstand. I might just like from how you described it, it sounded kind of just definitional, like how you define total utilitarianism. Because 
obviously like you can't have this view where like some happiness is better but but extreme suffering is unoutweighable but i guess um yeah uh yeah it definitely is kind of there's like a semantic portion to all of this um man am i like um uh i think like one sort of annoying argument um that like uh i i make and like i believe is true is that just like the claim that totally utilitarianism implies offsetability is just not justified anywhere and so like people like it's just like assumed but like actually i haven't seen or maybe it is but i like through i haven't found any sort of paper any sort of like logical or mathematical or philosophical or whatever demonstration of of like of mm -hmm. like off like offsetability or whatever it just seems like it's like and i don't think it's semantically implied like i don't think it's like tautological or whatever like once you say the words totally utilitarianism it's like not implied by like the semantics or something um and so like have you or oh, sorry go ahead yeah no go ahead go ahead uh i was just gonna say did have you looked into like objections to lexical views so i mean some i think a lot of people just think that the problems with lexical views are also just big and so that's why they don't accept them so maybe like the sequence argument is um a, a bigger one what, um, what's that I, I don't i don't know the term but I, I might have been familiar with it yeah it's also called some other things so sometimes but you could take like your lexical like extreme suffering that can't be outweighed and then you could just take it's like very tiny amount less suffering less intense suffering for much longer um and then ask which one's worse and so most people would say that like you know the uh, the also torture levels suffering that's just like slightly under wherever your lexical threshold is that but happening much longer is worse and then you can just repeat that step all the way down until you get you know so then something even slightly less bad than that even longer is is also worse and like so if it's if each step is transitive, then you get the conclusion that this like lexical suffering can be outweighed by tiny amounts of suffering. If you yeah, have so a really I, big amount. I, I think I think yeah, this like sounds like a at least like a at least like a strike against like lexical views, or, or at least like a, like at least an intuitive strike or something. I like one cop out like general point is that I think there's a lot of implicit modeling of just like of just like ethical value as corresponding to the number line of just like or like more specifically like every state of the world corresponds to like a real number um and like that real number or or like mm -hmm. at least a scale like uh that can be like scaled up and down by some like uh like uh real number factor or whatever but like um uh but like like well like once even if we just say like oh the state of the world right now is like some number like you know x or whatever um in terms of like utils uh so yeah the state of the world right now is x utils and like every other like conceivable state of the world corresponds to like some other real number um and like hmm like maybe i i think this is just like a very like this is what makes the step argument tempting it's because you think you can just and like maybe it's true or whatever but like uh if you have this like number line view then it like really pretty directly uh implies that you can just like move left or right by some like reasonably like well-defined amount on like the morality axis and i just feel like there's a lot of 
um, there's a lot of like uh, unexamined, I guess, like formal work that like needs to be done to justify that. And also like it should be done by me to like counter it, right? So like, I I'm not, I can't say that like I have a formal like disproof of this or like a or, like really solid arguments against it. It just feels like in it, like, um, like a like a sort of implicit mental model that isn't formally justified anywhere if that makes sense yeah i think um i think sadly we just agree too much because that sounds kind of right to me god damn it okay <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I guess magnus vending from crs has also written about lexical views and like kind of other versions of them but yeah it sounds like cool. you just are Got it all figured out. You're just writing okay. about everything. So. What about what about consciousness? What's your what's your take? Um, well, I mean, like I said, I guess I'm just maybe too confused. Like I've, I'm reading Consciousness Explained by Dan Dennett right now, and I'm and I guess ah, okay. he has sort of like an illusionist view that I I'm like trying to wrap my head around different views. I think I intuitively have this this basic like yeah, the hard problem of consciousness is like really seems really mysterious and and you know ev everything should be like we should be physicalists you don't want like dualism or something but yeah trying to work all that out doesn't seem to work well so i i give like substantial weight to things like well like some forms of panpsychism for example is like something i've become given like more weight to over time or something like i never would have like thought was like anywhere near plausible before um, mm -hmm. but i okay. i get i think i'm just like not the person to ask about this unfortunately <laughs> okay okay no i i thought you might have like uh so you, you said you had a philosophy like that or like you started by like getting into philosophy kind of is that what you started in college no i studied computer science and ah uh, okay i just really wanted to take this philosophy course okay but, okay gotcha, gotcha yeah like i've i've been into philosophy yeah, I should have clarified. I, I just meant like on my own time. I've been into philosophy, and but mostly, it's been so like moral philosophy and like maybe other things, like personal identity, uh, metaphysics on or something, ontology. Like, which a lot of these I'm also not don't know a ton about. But philosophy okay. of mind is another like really interesting thing to me. But it's not like something I have like a take on at this point okay okay i know I, I, it's so, like this is like the same thing i mean i technically got a minor but like mo mostly i've just been mm. into it on my own also and like um uh yeah <laughs> same i guess in terms of interests um and uncertainty I, yeah. about a uh, about consciousness also oh oh for sure um <laughs> yeah yeah so like honestly i like don't have a good understanding of like all the terms or whatever i feel like really there's like a couple questions like one is are qualia real and i think the answer is yes but i'm not i don't think it's like 100 i think it's like 90 um and if not then then nihilism is true um uh what else hmm. i also and then there's also just the question of like what okay if if qualia are real like um what physical like what is the correspondence between physical configure or like configuration of particles and qualia and like that's just i don't know it's like hard <laughs> right yeah yeah i i do disagree with the nihilism falls from qualia uh, being false i guess uh, really maybe okay that's something. well yeah i think i would be more inclined to take it the other way and say like oh i guess it turns out quality wasn't the thing that i care about it's just like whatever this thing is that I've been calling 
suffering. Okay. Oh no, no. Okay. Finally, a disagreement. Finally, finally. Okay. So I, I, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I think I've heard a lot of, not a lot, like maybe two, <laughs> which is a lot of illusionists. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically like gesture at Most this view where, where, um, <laughs> where, uh, yeah. So like if there's like no genuine subjective, like intuitive, like as we intuitively understand it, like conscious experience, then actually something else matters. And I think that's cope. And actually, no, like, like the arguments for hedonism or like some, some view of like hedonic value being important. And like really the only thing that fundamentally matters, at least in some sense, is like, are like very strong. In fact, they're so strong that, and they're true, like such that if like hedonic value just like isn't a thing, no, like, like, you know, like, um, there's no such thing as like functional, functional suffering or like functional pain. Like, that's mm -hmm. like not a thing that can that it can exist. Like, uh, yeah, like if quality don't exist, then it's just like uh, whatever. Like we're all we're all just trees. <laughs> well, I think that might be right in some sense, but I think if if you're like we're making the assumption that quality is not real, then what's the most plausible like world with with this being true? I think I still have like I know that I still have the experience of like. Of, what I call suffering, and I, from my I would, point I would, of view, I would disagree. I would disagree with that for what it's worth. Like you're just saying in this example, we just no one suffers ever, or like, or like you you are mistaken about having that that experience. Right, right. Well, um, well, in I'm the world where quality don't sure. exist. <laughs> yeah, I could be, but I I guess maybe it depends what we mean here. But and then you might also have a like a wager argument where you should act as if like no matter how certain you are this is kind of a separate this is more meta point but like no matter how certain you are that suffering is not real you should act as if it's real because just in case then it really matters oh yeah so, I, I kind of buy that actually like <laughs> mm -hmm. but um, i don't know like i think like someone like brian tomasic has this kind of illusionist view and he obviously cares about suffering a lot yeah, that, that's something I've been, I've been like really confused about actually, because I just don't like, I think he's just it's like smarter than me. So in one sense, like, I kind of want to defer, but like, I don't think he's like, <laughs> like, like so much smarter than me. Like I don't that, that, that I like have to defer or something like that. Or like, I can't like wonder what's going on or something like that. No, and so like, you're not allowed to question Brian to ask. No, I mean, I mean, I respect the guy so much, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, like how he like, yeah, those, these seem like really like, a, like, a, it seems like a, there's like a really fundamental conflict there um i don't know like i also tend to think probably they're just kind of right like illusionists don't seem to just be nihilist all the time they seem like they just think we're confused about what we're talking about but we're still talking about something that matters like he yeah. might just say like i just care about all these like processes like being averse to stimuli and like screaming and all this stuff and i i also agree that it's not at all how it feels like that's not the thing that I care about, but it's, I still think if I'm totally wrong, I still, I still clearly care about something that seems really bad to me. I guess I get, I get where you're coming from though. Well, I, I guess one thing is like, we keep talking about like, oh, I, like, um, like our personal values or not personal, but like, yeah, we care about values and stuff like that. So, so um, in terms of uh, meta ethics, are you more, are you a moral realist? Uh, I tend to be more anti-realist. Oh, okay. Another disagreement. Finally. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm actually. I'm not totally sure, but yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I feel I feel like this has been like debated so much. There's like no new ground to cover. <laughs> We're that, probably not going to solve it here, but <laughs> unfortunately, it, it is interesting. I, I mean, like I guess I could just say like maybe the reasons are yeah sure. It's it just seems maybe more parsimonious. Like you don't need to posit moral realism to explain all our behavior. And I mean, I guess that could be disputed, but yeah. And and then it also just explains why a lot of it sometimes seems to run up, like sometimes seems to be just kind of arbitrary or inconsistent, like a lot of our moral intuitions and inconsistent with each other and with other moral intuitions that we share. So like how it's also, yeah, I don't know. How would you find, figure this out? Like, where would you, how would you like figure out where the exact lexical threshold is on your view, for example? It does oh. seem like it makes more sense to, to just say yeah. like, well, that's just kind of how I feel. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't think that's like attractable. I don't, I don't think like, fi- like figuring out like what that is, is like a tactical question at all. Like, I do think that like, um, there are, there are statements that are like just observer, indep- or, like moral claims that are like true, like independent of like any human's beliefs or anything like that or any beliefs at all um, but if you but you seem to be thinking like you can get evidence about it if you um believe there is that threshold and yeah well as i mean so, so like lexicality i feel like that's like a i mean that's like a very specific so like um i haven't actually thought very much about like the intersection between moral realism and lexicality i like i in fact i don't that's like not at all a central like example of like the kind of thing um or like i also like i do entertain pretty seriously the notion that like there are some um there are some like moral claims that uh have truth values and like some that don't and i feel like lexicality mm. is like one that actually might not or something um or like mm. or like there, there might be like some like like a broad like broad structure of like moral realist claims and then like sub or like more nuanced uh like particulars that like just don't have like a well-defined answer uh like above and beyond people's beliefs um uh, yeah. yeah um it also i don't actually think it matters like very much i like it's i don't know like yeah like i i mean it's it's super interesting but like especially I think people it like, matters yeah, agree. A bit. i think it, uh, it only i think it matters insofar as it as it interacts with um with normative ethics which i think it does actually mm-hmm. sorry so so i i sort of misspoke um, I, th- I think it definitely can, and, and and um, and I think it does interact with, with normative ethics. But once you like control for that, and you like discuss the normative ethics part, like above and beyond that, it doesn't matter, I guess. Right. Um. Yeah. L- like, what matters is what. Like, well, this just depends on your moral view, so it all gets kind of messy. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Y- yeah. Um. I think that's true, but I do think it probably interacts in lots of ways, like. Like you might expect more moral convergence over time if there's mm. moral realism, and that's would make me a bit more optimistic about the future, though still not that optimistic. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. I haven't really thought much about that. And I and maybe moral uncertainty is more like it's more clear what's going on. Like it's really hard to find like a way to do moral uncertainty. Like in a well-defined manner and it would be more like just regular uncertainty i think 
otherwise. Well, you might still run into lots of issues, but yeah, potentially yeah. that would change things. And I don't know, I'm just sort of, I think there are, there are others I could probably come up with, but I haven't thought about it that much. Mm. Okay, so are there any other, any topics you, you want to hit? Um, I mean, I guess I mostly was like, I mostly was interested in talking about Esteros, and so we did that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess. Okay. There's oh, lots of like philosophy topics I'm like somewhat interested in, but I just feel like, I know like I've heard Robin Hanson say like people should just stop having so many opinions. So I'm just <laughs> when I feel myself talking about something I don't know, I'm not an expert on. I'm like, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't. I don't know. I feel like I'm like I'm like up. against. This, this sounds like a smart take, and then I think about it, and I'm like, wait, no, like people, like you're totally allowed to apply. Like I don't have like a latent like list of opinions on stuff. Like I have a latent world model and like a latent ethics that like I can apply mm -hmm. to like just about any like particular scenario, right? So like maybe it's like too confusing to like apply like like on air or something. But if somebody says like, oh look, what do you think about this like new law to like ban deodorant? I'm like, I don't know, sounds bad. Like even though like I, they didn't exist before, I like just thought about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like yeah, I have yeah. like a generic ideology. No, I think that's generally fair, but it might we might also just be picking really hard questions that re that require things my model hasn't figured out or something. Uh, okay, so in that case, I'm going to demand that you not demand, but encourage you to give a probable or like a ninety percent confidence interval on the number of views or listens slash downloads <laughs> this episode gets. <laughs> I yeah, I just I listened to your last episode actually, and this right. was is this a recurring? I'm, is this I mean. It's got, it has been recurring. It's recurring until somebody <laughs> convinces me to stop. <laughs> no, I like it. I feel like it, it's cool to like, maybe in like a year you can graph everyone's like guesses over time. Yes. Also. Yes. Okay. Uh, so what was, I don't know. What was the confidence interval? What'd you say? Oh, for, for, um, I'll wait, mate. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull up Spotify <laughs> real quick so I can like, oh, I can get better and better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Should keep it consistent. Yeah, although like it can, I guess update depending on how well like past episodes do. Okay, wait, analytics. Mm -hmm. So my oh wait, all time play. Okay, all so um between all both episodes that are up, fifty nine views on Spotify or plays on Spotify. So maybe maybe I don't know eighty total or like a hundred total over like other platforms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so am I guessing um, total? So oh no, so um, uh, let's go with total. Total for this episode. Mm -hmm. And sorry, the confidence interval was like 95 or something, or what did you say? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or I mean, I was thinking 90%, but like just you can you uh, can 90, you can choose if you want. No, 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 big difference. 90. I'm I've gotta I've gotta get it right. <laughs> I would say um, um yeah, I don't know. Let me think. Oh yeah. Also, when is the cutoff point? Because like this could just like I just until the end of time. Until the it's end. It's not of time. a It's not a falsifiable thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess like eight to um fifteen hundred. Okay, that's like. That makes sense. I like, I want to say like a little bit more than eight, but like, uh, probably not 20. I don't know, like 14 to like, to like, um, yeah, 1500 sounds right. I'll go with 14 to 1500. 
Okay. All right. We, so so we, we agree, we agree on... too much. All right. <laughs> so yeah, that's good though. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that I found somebody who just has my all of my opinions. Um. Well, yeah. Winston, yeah, me it's, too. It's been, it's been lovely. Mm -hmm. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for doing this. That was fun.